AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music. And lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Hyatt Ziva Riviera Cancun at CheapCaribbean.com. That's CheapCaribbean.com. It was a cold, windy November 7th in Montana. A local woman rode 14 miles on horseback to cast her ballot in the 1916 election. She was eight months pregnant. She'd later write in a letter that she'd gladly do it all over again just to be able to vote for Jeanette Rankin. This woman's vote would be one of the 76,000 that sent Jeanette Rankin to Congress the following year. One of the votes that made Rankin the very first woman elected as a United States congressperson. A wire report from Rankin's swearing-in could barely contain the emotion of the day. Men and women in the galleries pounded hands together and yelled themselves hoarse. Members did the same on both sides of the chamber when Miss Jeanette Rankin, the lady from Montana, entered the hall. Rankin said this about the event. I will be the first woman in Congress, but I will not be the last. From iHeartRadio and Tribeca Studios, this is Fierce. I can't type. Yes, women workers do present problems, Joan. A podcast about the incredible women who never made it into your history books and the modern women carrying on their legacies today. Here's to the ladies, the fair and the weak. I can't file. Women workers don't mind routine, repetitive work. And Will you make a copy of this? Naturally. Each week, we're bringing you the story of a groundbreaking woman from the past who made huge contributions to the present, but whose name still isn't on the tips of our tongues, for whatever reason. Maybe it's because men wrote most of history. This week, Jeanette Rankin. She arrived in the House of Representatives before women across the country even had full voting rights. And at the end of this episode, I'll be speaking to Stephanie Shriak, president of Emily's List, a group that's recruited and trained thousands of women to run for office in the United States. Ah! 
Born to a wealthy family in the pioneering life in big sky country out of Montana, Jeanette Rankin was a firebrand, an activist, and a solver of problems from the very start. One day she happened upon an injured horse on her family's Missoula ranch. She stitched him up right there with a thread and a needle. She'd regularly fight with her father, insist that their ranch hands deserved a higher wage. Her younger brother Wellington would later observe, She was a rebel, more or less always. She was going to be out there fighting. Except, how to fight. When she graduated from the University of Montana with a degree in biology in 1902, most girls her age were already married. They were already starting families. But Jeanette was restless. She had tremendous energy, but nowhere to put it. She wrote in her journal, Go, go, go. Jeanette's family was incredibly well off. Her father was a wealthy rancher and real estate prospector. The Rankins were doing so well, they built the first home in Missoula, Montana, with indoor plumbing and central heat. That meant that Jeanette had options about how she wanted to live her life. She had the financial support of her family behind her. So in 1908, Jeanette decided to go to New York City. It was there that she first experienced slums, poverty, saw the poor, struggling immigrants living in ungodly conditions. She began attending public meetings, schooled herself in labor laws. It was then that she decided on a career as a social worker. With her family supporting her financially, she enrolled in the New York School of Philanthropy near Gramercy Park. This was her awakening. She realized that armed with a career, a woman could have freedom. Better still, she could see a life that might please her. And while Jeanette lived in a prim women's hotel on the Upper East Side, her days and nights were spent in Greenwich Village with her new friends, especially a couple, Catherine Anthony and Elizabeth Irwin. They took her to Heterodoxy, a luncheon club for unorthodox women. There, she met novelists and painters, birth control activists and education reformers. Suddenly, she wasn't alone. She was amongst other ambitious women who also wanted to change the world. And just having that camaraderie encouraged her to think outside the box of what she was expected to be. Jeanette would remain close with many of these women for the rest of her life. The problem was that Jeanette hated doing actual social work. Days spent minding children and changing diapers was just another version of the life she'd been trying to avoid. So she moved up the road to Seattle, where she found a role for herself in the suffrage movement, fighting for women to gain the right to vote. In 1917, picketing resulted in police action. And even as President Wilson was considering the women's appeal, District of Columbia police rolled out from their station house to take pickets into custody. The battle for women's suffrage at the time was being fought on soapboxes and street corners. And Jeanette became the movement's top street fighter. Her fellow fighters in the movement remember her as relentless. Tireless. Ms. Rankin has worked day and night, heart and soul. Her tact, her gentle feminine persuasion, and her ever-ready logic have made many converts. They sent her all over the country. Washington, California, Ohio, New York. The first time she spoke on the floor of the Montana legislature on behalf of suffragism, they gave her a standing ovation. She told lawmakers, It's beautiful and right that a woman should nurse her sick children through typhoid fever. But... It's also beautiful and right that she should vote for sanitary measures to prevent that typhoid from spreading. That's an actress reading Jeanette's words. The quotes in this episode were found in a biography of Rankin written by Peter Aronson. 
Rankin traveled from town to town, once delivering 25 speeches in 25 subsequent days, sometimes even delivering those speeches to children. Ask your fathers why they won't let your mothers vote. Here's how one colleague described it. When Miss Rankin came forward to speak, the air became electric, young, attractive, energetic, and glowing with friendliness and reason. Jeanette Rankin commanded attention as soon as she spoke. She did. She really did. By the next national election in 1916, Jeanette Rankin's name would be on the ballot to be a United States congressperson. The primal motive for my seeking a seat in the National Congress is to further the suffrage work and to aid in every possible way the movement for nationwide suffrage, which will not cease until it is won. Jeanette Rankin announced her candidacy on July 8, 1916. Her platform included an eight-hour workday for women and something previously unheard of. Child welfare laws. Laws that would protect the life and health of children. There are hundreds of men in Congress to care for the nation's tariffs and foreign policy and irrigation projects. But there isn't a single woman in Congress to look after the nation's greatest asset. It's children. The campaign was more grassroots than Bernie Sanders. Jeanette placed what she called a capable, efficient woman in every precinct of the state. It was her version of Tammany Hall. In fact, that's what her machine was based on. Except Jeanette had way more area to cover. Montana is the fourth largest state of the Union. That's nearly 7,000 Manhattans or three New York states. To keep the machine going and ignite all of her capable, efficient women, Rankin traveled by horseback, train, and as much as she could, her favorite way, driving herself alone in her Ford. The 1916 election in Montana was unusual. It was an at-large election with no districts. Everyone got to choose two candidates. That meant the top two vote-getters would go to Congress. Jeanette was so savvy. Because she knew she'd go to Washington if she came in second, she was able to tell Montanans that she wasn't there to steal the vote of a man. She told them to go ahead and vote for the man that they wanted to vote for. They could give their second vote to her. On election night, the newspapers took their time verifying the outcome. They weren't exactly pleased with what they'd eventually have to report. At 36 years old, Jeanette Rankin came in second with more than 76,000 votes. 6,000 more than the third-place finisher. It was clear. Jeanette Rankin was going to Congress. I'm not nervous about going to Congress. Social work gave me insight into the needs of babies, children, and young adults. And it is for them that I shall work. Time for a quick break. We'll be right back. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. 
Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Jamaica and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. That's CheapCaribbean.com. Following that historic win on April 2, 1917, Jeanette Rankin led a 25-car motorcade of suffragists up to the Capitol for her swearing-in. When she walked through the doors, the entire House of Representatives, all of the men, rose to give her a standing ovation. Newspapers, of course, diligently covered the election of the first woman to Congress. The Fort Wayne Journal-Gazette described her as... A gray-eyed, slender girl with the enthusiasm of a zealot, the simplicity of a child, and the energy and fire of a racehorse. The New York Times felt it was important to tell a story. She dances well and makes her own hats and sews and has won genuine fame among her friends with the wonderful lemon meringue pie that she makes when she hasn't enough other things to do to keep her busy. Another newspaper referred to her as the maid of Missoula. She was just such a curiosity. She was on the cover of many newspapers around the U.S. That's filmmaker Kimberly Reed. Reed is a documentarian and fellow Montanan who immersed herself in nearly a year of Jeanette Rankin research. She got marriage proposals by the droves through the mail because she was so famous. And it's really hard to imagine how much ground she was breaking. Everything was new territory, including what Rankin would wear on the floor that day. They had a resolution on the floor of the U.S. House saying that men couldn't wear their hats. First of all, it was very common for women to wear hats and felt a little bit naked if you weren't wearing a fancy hat. At the end of the day, she didn't really want that special permission. She didn't want to be treated differently, but that meant she had to get rid of this kind of crutch, this safety security blanket. I have no doubt that she was challenged on a personal level by these even silly things, right, by like taking your hat off. It's still just immensely brave for her to do what she was doing, to be the very first. And she was representing half of the U.S. population, more than half of the people who are in the United States. She had an enormous weight on her shoulders. Jeanette Rankin entered Congress at a tumultuous time. On April 2nd, 1917, President Woodrow Wilson called an emergency meeting of Congress to discuss entering World War I. Inside the White House, President Woodrow Wilson conferred with advisors, then signed the proclamation of war against Germany. It was Jeanette Rankin's very first day in the Capitol. Wilson asked Congress to pass the vote swiftly. The world, he said, must be made safe for democracy. 
for Jeanette, her first vote, the first vote by any woman in Congress, would be on the war in Europe. Now, Jeanette was an avowed pacifist. She believed wars were based on greed and the desire for countries to make money by selling weapons. Her brother Wellington begged her not to vote against the war. He told her to make a man's vote to save her career. The suffragists didn't want her to vote against the war either. Carrie Chapman Catt, the president of the National American Women's Suffrage Association, told her that women's suffrage would never pass if Jeanette voted against the war. She said no one would ever trust a woman in Congress ever again. But Jeanette really believed that women could and should bring a different way of thinking to government. And that meant rethinking war as a way of settling disputes. She conflated her feminism, even though she didn't call it that at the time, with her pacifism. She felt like it was her duty to represent all of the other women and and children that didn't have any representation. All these mothers and wives who were losing their husbands and sons in these ridiculous wars. The House roll was finally called at 3 a.m. on the morning of April 6th. Joe Cannon, the former speaker, told Rankin to vote her conscience, saying, you represent the womanhood of the country. But she was already going to do just that. She rose and spoke. I want to stand by my country, but I cannot vote for war. Forty-nine men opposed the war that day but it was Rankin who was castigated for it. The Daily Missoulin headline read, Miss Rankin sobs, I cannot vote for war. Now, there's absolutely no evidence she cried on the floor of Congress that day. In fact, the future mayor of New York, Fiorella LaGuardia, couldn't see if she'd been crying, quote, because of the tears in his own eyes. Meanwhile, suffragist Maude Wood Park, who'd been in the gallery, reported that the House Majority Leader, Claude Kitchen, wept openly as he gave his own no vote. That didn't stop the papers from painting her as a hysterical woman. The New York Times said, Her appearance was that of a woman on the verge of a nervous breakdown. The Helena Independent made her not just weak but treasonous, calling her a dagger in the hands of German propagandists and a crying schoolgirl. The Bozeman Chronicle just said it. They claimed she had voted in a fit of female hysteria. Jeanette later explained herself to the women of the United States of America. Never, for one second, could I face the idea that I would send your men to be killed for no other reason than to save my seat in Congress. Jeanette would suffer for that vote, but not before attempting another coup in Congress. In the summer of 1917, Jeanette Rankin took up the mantle of gaining women the right to vote on the national level. She took up the lead on the issue in the House. Both the House and Senate needed to pass a resolution for there to be a constitutional amendment. In an address to Congress in January of 1918, Jeanette said, We as a nation were born in a land of unparalleled resources, but something is still lacking. Babies are dying from cold and hunger, and soldiers have died for lack of a woolen shirt. Might it not be that men who have spent their lives thinking in terms of commercial profit find it hard to adjust themselves to thinking in terms of human needs? Is it not possible that the women of the country have something of value to give the nation at this time? 
How shall we explain the meaning of democracy if the same Congress that voted for war to make the world safe for democracy refuses to give this small measure of democracy to the women of our country? The resolution passed the House by 274 to 136. It failed in the Senate. But Jeanette would never recover from her vote against World War I. While her male colleagues, like the weeping Claude Kitchen, got sent right back to Congress, Jeanette wasn't reelected. When she left office at the age of 38, the Helena Independent wrote, She has a brilliant future. Behind her. Jeanette Rankin came from wealth, but she never liked it or coveted it. She had that American puritanical streak, the kind that worries a hot shower might make them soft. When she left office, she needed to get out from under the long shadow of her life in Montana. Jeanette bought a ramshackle farm in rural Georgia, not far from the State University in Athens. It had no indoor plumbing, no electricity. In the summer, she returned to her family ranch in the Big Belt Mountains of Montana. She'd write about how important these rural places were to her. It is quite necessary for me to be at home, to relax and secure courage to go out and face the cold, stupid world again. Jeanette never had much of a personal life. She had many close friendships, but work always came before any kind of romantic engagements. And Jeanette certainly hadn't retired. It's 1917, and the 69-year drive by women for the right to vote is climaxed by this appeal at the White House. The first part of her life's work was completed in 1920 with the ratification of the 19th Amendment, which finally granted women all over the nation the right to vote. This was due in large part to her work, But Jeanette's future, the next 50-plus years, would be dedicated to peace. The work of educating the world for peace is a woman's job because men are afraid of being classed as cowards if they oppose war. There was just one problem. Jeanette wasn't particularly good at making peace with having a boss. She left more than one peace group in the 20s and 30s because they muzzled her into being a lobbyist. And by 1939, 20 years after leaving Congress... Jeanette Rankin had just about run out of peace organizations to work for. But she wasn't done. She just had to do it differently. The responsibility lies on the shoulders of one man. By his latest act of naked aggression, Hitler has committed a crime not only against Poland, but against the whole human race. With World War II looming, Jeanette fired up her old Ford. She began the long drive back to Montana. She was going to run for Congress again. But first, she had to remind Montana who she was. If she could pull it off, she really believed she could keep FDR from declaring war. She wrote to a friend in New York. I still feel sure that he can be bluffed out of going to war if the women will do their part. Soon as she arrived back in Montana, Jeanette started doing her part. Her home state needed reminding of their old friend in Congress. She'd show up unannounced at schools to speak. After all... What school would deny the children the opportunity to see the first woman in Congress anyway? She remembered that when she was a kid, politicians used to talk only to the boys. They'd say the boys could be president. Then they'd look at the girls and say, maybe someday you'll be a president's wife. As she put it, I'd say, now we know the girls can do many things, and someday we will have a woman president. And they roared with laughter. Then she said, There aren't jobs just for women. Someday, one of these young men may be the husband of a president. 
As she worked the school circuit, Jeanette Rankin also worked her way back into the hearts of fellow Montanans. She announced her candidacy in 1940, re-enlisted her old precinct captains, and set about winning a second trip to Congress. And though she was 60, she marched the campaign trail with the energy of a much younger woman. One observer noted, If she heard of a vote, she would go up and see them, drive up there, and it didn't make any difference about the roads. Jeanette won. She won big. She captured a resounding 54% in the general election. But that wasn't the news it was in 1916. No one will pay any attention to me this time. There is nothing unusual about a woman being elected. This time, when she reached D.C. to be sworn in, she joined seven other women there. Now, when Jeanette first ran for Congress in 1916, war wasn't her main issue. It showed up by surprise on her first day of work. But when she ran in 1940, she ran as an anti-war candidate. When Montanans sent her to Washington in November of that year, no one doubted her stance. I am still trying to keep our men from being sacrificed in the slaughterhouse across the ocean. But then came that day that would live in infamy. Sunday, December 7th, 1941. Japan, like its infamous Axis partners, struck first and declared war afterwards. The country's feelings about war shifted swiftly once it was under attack. Reports of the Japanese assault on Pearl Harbor came in the afternoon. Jeanette was in Detroit when she heard about the attack on Pearl Harbor. But when her sleeper train reached Pittsburgh around midnight, she jumped off. FDR was going to speak in front of Congress at noon the next day. If she had any chance of slowing the war drum, she was going to have to get back to D.C. Stat. Jeanette caught the next train. At noon on December 8th, Jeanette was in her seat to hear the president address the joint session. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked the president's speech lasted only eight minutes. By naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Jeanette knew that meant 52 minutes of airtime up for grabs. But none of her colleagues would yield the floor. Jeanette wasn't the only isolationist. But when it came time to vote, all the others who'd once shared her views recanted. One said, I hope there won't be one dissenting vote. The Senate had voted unanimously for the war and Republican leadership made it clear they wanted the same vote in the House. They even tried to change the rules to skip her in roll call, but Jeanette Rankin wouldn't have it. At the time, discussion on the floor of Congress was not supposed to be carried live, but no one had turned off the feed after the president's address. A network announcer later provided commentary to guide listeners as Jeanette attempted to be recognized. Miss Janet Rankin trying to get recognized here. Uh, she stood in the aisle and raised her hand. The speaker angrily brought down his gavel and said, let there be no objection to the unanimous consent. In the end, her vote was simply no. As a woman, I cannot go to war. And I refuse to send anyone else. The final vote, 388 to 1. There was this throng of reporters that cornered her and kind of chased around the halls of Congress to the point where she had to take refuge in a telephone booth. And she had to hang out there until the Capitol Police came and rescued her and escorted her back to her office. A photo of her trapped in the phone booth appeared in all the newspapers the next day. Jeanette released her statement to the press. 
When I cast my only vote against the war, I was thinking of the pledges I had made to the mothers and fathers of Montana, that I would do all in my power to prevent their sons being slaughtered on foreign battlefields. Her brother Wellington didn't mince his words. Montana is 100% against you. She knew Wellington disagreed with her. But it hurt to know that all of Montana, all of her country, saw her as an enemy. She was bombarded with insults. You made an ass out of yourself trying to be like a man. I hope a jack bomb drops on your head or home. You dismissed the bombing as lightly as you would a run in your stocking. Jeanette was a realistic idealist. She knew there was no chance for her in public life, not for a long, long time after that. But she had no regrets. Still, a few people recognized that her vote wasn't unpatriotic. Even if they disagreed with it, which they did, they could still see it as an act of moral courage. The Emporia Gazette in Kansas wrote, Well, look at Jeanette Rankin. Probably a hundred men in Congress would like to do what she did. Not one of them had the courage to do it. Another Montanan wrote, In all of history, no man has done so brave, so commendable a thing. Today I feel that you've vindicated womanhood. After leaving Congress a second time, Jeanette returned to her modest life. She went back to Georgia, built a new, equally humble farm. She traveled the world studying various models of peaceful resistance. When the Vietnam War broke out, began sending thousands of American boys home in body bags, Jeanette couldn't stay quiet any longer. It is unconscionable that 10,000 boys died in Vietnam this year. And I predict that if 10,000 women had mind enough, they could end the war if they were committed to the task, even if it meant going to jail. People in American life usually don't get a second act. She not only got a second act, she basically had a third act because in the late 60s and early 70s, many of the women who were involved in that anti-war movement studied Jeanette Rankin and all of her pacifist efforts and essentially recruited her to come out of retirement so that she could lead their movement protesting the war in Vietnam. Rankin was now in her late 80s, but she wasn't deterred by her age. She led a march of 5,000 women on Washington. They called themselves the Jeanette Rankin Brigade. It was bitter cold. There was a couple inches of snow. They marched from Union Station to Capitol Hill, and they presented a plaque to the Speaker of the House that was calling for this pacifist response to Vietnam War. There were 5,000 women and everybody wore go-go boots and they're all in the snow and they're all kind of marching and stomping. In 1972, at the age of 91, the National Organization for Women made Rankin its first inductee into the Susan B. Anthony Hall of Fame. Rankin was honored with the title of the world's outstanding living feminist. She left the crowd with this. Women must devote all their energies today in gaining enough political offices to influence the direction of government away from the military-industrial complex and toward solving the major social disgraces that exist in our country. Time for a break. When we come back, we'll be speaking to Stephanie Shriak. She's the president of EMILY's List and a woman who is very much carrying on Jeanette's legacy today. Since its founding, EMILY's List has helped elect 100 pro-choice Democratic women to the House, 26 to the Senate, 16 to governor's seats, and hundreds more to state and local offices around the country. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. 
But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget Beach Finder. Or find a featured all-inclusive package to Ibera Star Hotels and Resorts and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Jeanette Rankin fought long and hard for women to get the right to vote. And this year marks the 100th anniversary of the ratification of the 19th Amendment. But there's still a long way to go to see women represented in equal numbers in elected office. We saw six women run for the 2020 Democratic nomination, more than any other time in U.S. history. But by March 19th of this year, none of them remained in the race. Yet, I'm optimistic. There's an army of women out there working to ensure more women are voted into office. Emily's List and their president, Stephanie Shriok, are on the front lines of that army. Emily's List is a nearly 35-year-old organization solely committed to electing pro-choice Democratic women all across the country, up and down the ballot. So tell me about the first time that you heard Jeanette Rankin's story. I grew up in Montana. I grew up in Butte, which is the good labor union copper mining town. And you just didn't grow up in places like Butte, Montana, without hearing about the pride of Montana being the first state in the union to elect a woman to the United States Congress. Even though you know, we learned about her, What we actually knew about her was so minimal. What she did for the women's suffrage movement, how engaged she was, what she did in Montana, what she did for the anti-war movement, what she did for women all through those years. Like, that was not taught to us as kids in Butte. We just really learned the top lines. When I think about Jeanette's story, what I think about the most, what gives me chills, is thinking how brave it was to be a woman doing what she did in the time that she was doing it. Absolutely. Because I, too, have that feeling deep in my belly when I think about her because you got to try to put yourself back in what I would call the Wild West of Montana 
1916. Literally the Wild West. I mean, truly the Wild West. You know, Montana had just become a state in 1889. And here's this fierce woman who found her voice along the way, traveling around the United States, coming back home to Montana, fighting so hard for Montana to give women the right to vote. But then to think... I should run for office when this had never happened. And the entire country, the women across the country still didn't have the right to vote. So what that must have been like, how scary that must have been for her. And yet jumping in and taking that responsibility from the beginning so, so seriously. It really is so moving. And still today, I I just like to think I... I get to be part of that, a little piece of that legacy and that bravery. Is it easier now? Absolutely. Is it easier over the last three decades? Completely. But there's still a mindset of what a leader in this country looks like. You know, what is that person supposed to be? And of course, particularly on the executive side, when you're looking at governors and presidents, you think of an executive leader as a male. And quite frankly, you think of it as a white male. And having to change that mindset of what a feminine leadership looks like and that it's powerful and strong is something that we are always working on here at EMILY's List. And how do you guys do that? What I've said to so many candidates over the years here is that you've got to do it your own way. You've got to figure out who you are, what's your story, how does your story connect with the voters, and then you gotta, you got to just be yourself. It doesn't mean you don't run smart strategic campaigns and you do all the things you need to do on a campaign setting, but you just have to fight through it. And yes, you're going to run into sexism. I'm sorry, it's not going away. You know, People are going to ask you, do you have children? Why don't you have children? What are you going to do with your children? You, you win or lose either direction. But you just answer the questions, you keep going, because what works at the end of the day is that after she wins, then the voters and the constituents see what great leaders these women make. And that's how we do this. That's how we change minds. We keep winning. And Jeanette Rankin for the Congress was the first win. And we have just every election cycle since added a few more here and there. And uh, thankfully, we all got to just watch in 2018 a historic number of women walk onto the floor of the United States House of Representatives and what that has meant, not just to the focus of what's going on, but the culture of the place. And that's what we have to change, the culture of the place. It's still hard. Do women still face a lot of the challenges that Jeanette faced back then, more than 100 years ago? They do face some. I think there's still a question about electability. We've been paying attention to what's been going on in this presidential election. Women still have to prove that they're accomplished enough and can do the job, whereas men tend, and I am stereotyping here, so I I always want to be a little careful, but men tend to just sort of like, of course you know how to balance a budget and you're going to be tough on crime. But at the end of the day, the voters and the American people They're looking for leaders who are going to take care of their families, that are going to focus on making their lives better as constituents. So they don't care. Where are we now in terms of women elected to office? 
So you know, in the United States Congress, you know, women still only represent you know, just shy of 25%, which is not great. And that puts the United States, last time I looked, we were beyond 100th in the world in the percentage of women in our federal office. Terrible place to be. Having women there, having an equal number of women there, how does that change culture in Congress? It starts with changing the debates around policies that affect the country. And that is on all fronts. You know, I think so often folks think, oh, women are going to come in and we're, they're going to talk about women's issues. I, mean, I can't tell you how many times. <laughs> Kamala Harris has a great line. She gets asked all the time, you know, are you going to just talk about women's issues? And she's like, yes, I'm going to talk about the economy. <laughs> I'm like, exactly. It matters to have those voices represented. And also, one woman can't carry everybody. Uh, So we need women of diverse backgrounds, races, education, geography, to have a truly representative democracy. And how much do these stories matter? And repeating stories like Jeanette Rankin's, knowing stories like Jeanette Rankin's, and just not letting these names be lost to history. Gosh, I think it's everything. I think it's everything in every culture. I mean, the importance of storytelling for me and, frankly, for Emily's List is how you connect with each other. And our young women and young men need to know the, the stories of the women who came before us, who broke down barriers, crashed through ceilings. But we've got to tell these stories. Um, the bravery of Jeanette Rankin and so, so, so many others uh, who took huge risks at potentially great loss for themselves, but did it and then stood up for what they believe. Those, those stories are as powerful today as they were then. And as I think about you know, women like Sharice Davids, who ran in 2018, a member of the Ho-Chunk Nation in this country uh, from Kansas, uh, stepping up saying, I'm going to run for Congress, even though no Native American woman had ever been elected to Congress before in this country until 2018. But I'm going to do it. And I'm going to tell my story and our story. And she did. That's what we've got to keep doing. We're very grateful to our guests, filmmaker Kimberly Reed and Stephanie Shriok, president of Emily's List. Fierce is hosted and written by Joe Piazza, produced and directed by me, Anna Stump. Our executive producers are Joe Piazza, Nikki Etor, Anna Stump, and from Tribeca Studios, Leah Sarbib. Jeanette Rankin is voiced by Emily Stein. Additional voices provided by Sam Stumpf, Jane Stumpf, and Katie Stumpf. This episode was edited and soundscaped by Anna Stumpf with additional support from Jacopo Penzo, Mary Dew, and Josh Fisher. Our associate producer is Emily Marinoff. Fact-checking by Austin Thompson. Research by Lizzie Jacobs. The Fierce theme song was written by Hamilton Lighthouser and Anna Stump. Our very sincere thanks to Mangesh Hatikador for making this series possible. And to Nikki Etor, who just did so much for this series, there's no way to even name it all. Sources for this episode, Jeanette Rankin, A Political Woman, by James J. Lopak and Jean A. Lukowski. Jeanette Rankin, America's First Congresswoman, by Peter Aronson. When Jeanette Said No, Montana Women's Response to World War I, by Mary Murphy for Montana, the magazine of Western history. 
Suffragists' Oral History Project, Jeanette Rankin, activist for world peace, women's rights, and democratic government. Interviews conducted by Malka Chow and Hannah Josephson. Various articles found in the digital archives of the House of Representatives and the Library of Congress blog. Articles from the New York Times in 1916 and the United Press and the Suffragist in 1917. From NPR, The First Woman in Congress, A Crusader for Peace by Whitney Blair Wyckoff and The Lone War Dissenter on All Things Considered from December of 2001. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder. Or find a featured all-inclusive package to Ibera Star Hotels and Resorts and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable.